Thanks for listening to Worship Local. This is our podcast where we invite you into the long-winded, ever-deepening, sometimes winding conversation of Frontier Church, where we exist for the glory of Jesus and the joy of Des Moines. Today's podcast is Andrew's last podcast. So we spend the majority of our time talking about some of the biggest surprises of our five years of serving in ministry together at Frontier Church. So whether you live in Des Moines or elsewhere, we hope this podcast helps you worship local. All right, dude. So it's uh, last week of work at Frontier Church. This Sunday is going to be your last Sunday at Frontier. Sunday night is going to be the self-celebration um, party. How how you feeling, dude? Weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I've moved so much in my life that uh, I'm kind of used to this feeling, but you know, it's different now that I'm moving with three kids and my mm-hmm. wife and Des Moines is the second longest I've ever lived somewhere consecutively in my entire life. Um, so it's, mm. so it's a different move for sure. Um, and yeah, so I don't, I don't know. It's just still just trying to figure all of it out. It's, I mean, it's gotta be all the feels, right? Yeah. I mean, cause like my, like this week looks pretty normal for me, like work wise. And you yeah. know, I'm meeting with people having lunches and early morning meetings and elder meeting. So like, it doesn't feel any different than a normal week right now. So Sunday is probably going to kick me, kick me pretty hard uh, yeah, as soon as I get yeah. done preaching on Sunday. And when we get everything torn down, that's whenever, whenever I hand the keys over to the kingdom of Noche to, to you and to Joseph, like that's when it's going to actually hit Look me. Look out. Yeah. Yeah, I have a feeling that Sunday morning after that second service, I'm just going to melt into a little puddle on the wooden floor, man. Just don't yeah. know what to do. Yeah, I'm going to have to fight to not do that myself. <laughs> hmm. uh, I'm excited to kind of like rehash some of your top five surprises of leading at Frontier over these last five years. That's going to be a fun conversation because um, when you're leading when you're leading something that's alive, like a church, there's just a good leadership requires that you adapt to changes. So, and it's going to be a fun conversation. But before we get around to that, can you just give Frontier Church a little bit of a Give us the scoop on what you're going to be doing in Texas at First Baptist Canyon. L- let us in on your your job description a little bit. Yeah. Um, so and I've shared this with, with multiple people in the church, but First Baptist Canyon was a was is a church that partnered with Tracy and I for the entirety of my church planting residency and um, for the majority of the time that we've been in Des Moines. So they've been on our, our support team. They were our biggest financial supporter, but also mm-hmm. like just mm-hmm. as far as you know, building morale for us, they were huge. They sent mm-hmm. two teams of people up here, um, a couple of different years to visit Frontier to see what's going on, to meet people in Frontier, to see how we do church on Sundays, see how we do community groups. So I've had this partnership with this church for a while, and um, you know, I've known the pastor there for for quite a while, and built a friendship with the missions pastor there. Um, so I will be um, entering into the title as associate pastor of students, um, and I really love the the, yeah, the, baby. the philosophy of ministry of the church because um, it's not like the student ministry is its own little siloed off church that you just keep your head down and do what you're supposed to do over here, mm-hmm. um, but you're not actually a part of the church. You've got your own little youth church. Uh, they fought hard over the past you know five years to not build that culture. Yeah, uh, but there's, there's a, harmony between yeah, the local sure. church. And yeah. The, yeah, yeah, totally. And they want somebody to, to not only come on to teach and disciple and mentor and coach uh, students, uh, but to come alongside parents as they are um, biblically mandated to be the, the lead disciplers of their of their children. Uh, so that really excites me, man, just to come mm-hmm. in and help build community between students, especially after a crazy year last year. Um, where relationships were fractured because of lockdowns and weird stuff with school. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm really excited to, to do that, but then also to you know come alongside parents who are 
um, discipling and raising their sixth through 12th graders, you know, um, that's a, as someone who doesn't have kids at that age yet and knowing the weight of parenting, um, I can't imagine that parents of, <laughs> of weird middle schoolers and mm. awkward <laughs> high schoolers like need, uh, need enc- encouragement and support. Mm. Um, and I, I did student ministry for five years, um, before I uh, entered into the church planting world, uh, so this isn't really like foreign territory for me. So I'm I'm really excited about it to come alongside the, these parents and to be a part of the church there, um, and I'll get opportunities to preach and to record podcasts with them and to to be a pastor not just of the student ministry but but in the church as well. Um, so getting to do a lot of you know the you know established church stuff like hospital visits and mm, you know mm-hmm. all different church wide events so like that stuff's pretty exciting to me cuz cuz I I grew up doing that sort of stuff and one of my favorite yeah, things yeah yeah dude my first ministry role was at a 170 year old church and I grew up in that church and so like every tuesday I I got to do hospital visits and I I love doing hospital visits you know mm-hmm. going to be with the older saints who were in the hospital for whatever reason and praying with them and talking with their family, making sure they're being taken care of. So little things like that, that, you know, the demographics of Frontier, uh, we don't have to do some of those We're things right now. We're a ways away before <laughs> yeah. we have a full-fledged yeah. We're hospital to, visit yeah. team. Yeah. yeah, we're yeah. setting up meal trains for people who are having babies like yeah. that. <laughs> we, do, we do a lot of that right now and uh, moving yeah. people around. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm really, you know, I'm excited about, about this role. I love my role at Frontier, but, you know, as we've talked about a lot over the past month and a half, you know, my family is just in a spot where we need to be closer to our extended family for help and for us to heal up mentally um, and emotionally. And um, so, you know, God's kindness to us where, you know, I didn't have to, you know, make a move and get out of vocational ministry for a season, but, you know, him, him. Huh. leading us with this yeah. providential hand and opening this this door for us at a church that we love and in a role that I'm excited about. Um, just I, God's kindness is not lost on me. I haven't fully uh, experienced it yet, but you know, the season that we are, are still in and coming out of, but just like seeing God take care of my family, I've just been really thankful for that. This, this seems like a, I'm really happy for you, man, because it just seems like a really good fit. I can just see you coaching parents on how to be lead disciple makers for their kids and how to make the home into a discipleship environment. And so I, I just know that you're going to, you're going to knock it out of the park. You're going to crush it and you're going to be such a huge asset for First Baptist Canyon, dude. So I'm excited for our future Skype dates to hear about how in the <laughs> world you're doing, dude. It's going to be... <laughs> It's gonna be it's gonna be great. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about our our top five surprises of leading Frontier, man. Um, I I I think that every church planter kind of comes in boots on the ground and they've got their own vision of exactly what the church is gonna look like and exactly who's gonna show up and exactly what their demographic is and exactly what their target mission is gonna be. Um, but the funny thing. Uh, about God is that oftentimes our vision doesn't align with God's vision. And when those two visions go to war with one another, it seems safe to say that God's vision wins. And so God's got his idea of who the church plant should be. And a lot of times it's different than the church that you plant in your imagination. And um, that, that has meant that for us, as leaders, we have to be clear about two things. Number one, we, we've had to be clear about what are our unchangeable things in our church, our theology, our doctrine, what we believe to be true about the Bible, our goals as a church, our values as a church. You've got to have a steel backbone on those things, mm-hmm. um, our statement of faith. And yet there are these other components of the church life that you've you've got you've got to be able to lead on your toes and to watch and to to look at what God is doing apart from what you thought he would do and to be able to call audible so that you can lead really well not by telling God what you should do but mm-hmm. by following God's leadership in the church and so i i think we've done a good job at holding those two things in balance right yeah i think so you know that's not perfect, but no, not perfect, and you know maybe a little more delayed in some areas, and maybe a little too quickly in other areas. But yeah, I mean, especially whenever you talk as extensively as you do, like like you and I did before Frontier launched, and 
you've got this dream church in your head and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, this is, I'm going to take the good things that I've seen from the churches that I've experienced and I'm not going to do the thing, the bad things that I've experienced at other churches. And I'm going to, you know, have this, I don't think either one of us ever articulated this verbal, verbally, but it was like, you know, this is the perfect church. Like mm-hmm. this is the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that if you're starting anything or you're building anything, like you have to have that mentality to a certain extent. And I don't yeah, think, I think you're right. I yeah. think you have to, man. If you don't have any, if you don't have an ideal, then what are you actually pursuing after? Right. Um, I, I, I picture some like young church planter coming in and being like, Hey, I think God's called me to plant a church and being like, okay, well, what's your vision for it? And then just seeing the guy shrug his shoulders and go, Hmm. Yeah, I, don't I don't know. You know, it won't be the best. It won't be the worst, but yeah, yeah. it'll you, be something. <laughs> you gotta have that strength of vision, yeah. so long as it's flexible where it needs to be flexible. Yeah, if you're if the leaders of an organization aren't excited about the vision, then the people are not going to be excited about the vision either. Like if you, right, so some of my favorite you know restaurants uh, are where the I listened to this interview by the the uh, guy who started raising canes. And it was a fascinating interview. He was so excited about chicken fingers. Like, Interesting. He's so Interesting. he was so fascinated by. It. He's like, "This is what we're doing. We're doing chicken fingers. Chicken fingers. Chicken fingers. Chicken fingers." <laughs> and uh, like he's so excited about it. Like and that he's bred that into the DNA of his you know chicken finger bread. chain. Yeah. <laughs> he's um, breaded that in. He's baked it in. Um, uh, and you know, I think that was what was so cool about. You know, you and I talking for so long before Frontier came into existence was how excited we were about like the passions and the convictions that God was giving us, and be like, okay, this is who we, this is who, like, I, I think, and I've told other people this, like, if I was not on staff at Frontier, if I wasn't a pastor in Frontier, I would still be a member at Frontier, mm, mm-hmm. and I think that's really important for pastors and for planters, like. If if you're a church, if you're a dude who's considering church planting, why in the world would you plant a church that you wouldn't be a member at? Right? Or if you're a pastor in a church, whether you're a lay pastor or a staff pastor, why would you take that role if you wouldn't just be a member in that church? And what excited me whenever we were talking and strategizing and planning was mm. like, oh, I would love to be a member of this church. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I, one of my favorite roles in Frontier is being a member in, of this church family. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, and I think that's what, um, I can't remember who it was. Oh, it was Justin when we were having a, our huddle on Sunday morning before the nine o'clock service. You know, Joseph didn't, he took us, we gave him a Sunday off, which was much needed. He needs more. Uh, but Justin was like, you know, like the show is still going on. Like we're all here doing the same thing, but like we yeah. miss Joseph. Like if you know, yeah. this feels like he was talking about, you know, me and Delaney were talking last night about how Frontier's a family. And I think that's like we have, God has used our passion for who Frontier is and our desire to see Frontier become a family. And like people have caught on to that, to that vision and our own passion for the church, where we don't, we're not like, okay, this is just an organization. Like, no, we view this as a, a living entity that's a family hmm. um, because we're excited about Frontier. Yeah, I was hanging out with uh, Ben Riggs this morning and we were grabbing coffee together. And uh, he, he talked about, <laughs> he was like, bro, I got to be honest with you. Frontier Church was the first church that we visited when we moved to Des Moines. And it was the last church that we visited. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, tell me a little bit more about that. And Riggs was like, dude, um, both Amy and I agreed that it was the most hospitable church that we've ever been a mm-hmm. part of. Right when we walked in, there were like three different families who were all over us, inviting us over for dinner. And we just thought that that was like amazing. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I scratched my head a little bit and I, I wondered after that conversation, like, how, how did that happen? Like, where, where did that come from why is that embedded in our culture how'd that virus get into our dna um do viruses get it whatever um how how, (laughs) why does frontier church behave that way and i think in in some large measure it's because of your leadership self and it's it's the vision of hospitality that you have brought to bear on this church's life and that's the bell that we have rung a thousand times in our church and um at some point in time when when you're so confident that God wants your church to be a hospitable church and you communicate it so often at some point in time, that just stops being a command and it starts being a lived reality. And so mm-hmm. I think that's where that 
I think that's why that's just a normal thing for people at Frontier to see somebody new and to be like, hey, come to my community group or hey, come grab dinner with me or whatever it is. You yeah. know, it's just who we are. It's so funny. I can't tell you how many times I've tried to invite new people over for dinner or to get coffee with them. And they've been like, oh, yeah, my week's just packed. Like, I've already got dinner plans with this family in Frontier. I've already got coffee plans with this dude in Frontier. Uh, what about two weeks from now? Like, <laughs> I have yeah, to fight yeah, my yeah, own yeah, members. Yeah. To, to... I already got dinner with the Moors. <laughs> when? This is your first time visiting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I love that, man. Like, I'm having to like, arm wrestle other members of Frontier to get to know new people. <laughs> it's, oh. it's awesome. All right, I'm letting this conversation get away from us. Yeah, okay, right. so let's get let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. I really am excited to talk about uh, what we're talking about. So, dude, take us through it. What are your top five surprises? Our top five surprises during our five or so years of ministry together at Planting Frontier Church. Yeah. Uh, so, first one for me, and we've I don't know we've talked about this one several times, um, but I think it is like one of the most jarring surprises uh, is the the demographic. Uh, Dem- demographical, demographic. Anyway, the people of Frontier, mm, both of them. Um, yeah, all of the above. Um, of you know, church plants historically are comprised of people in their early years of people who can take a lot of risks on something failing, or they can take risks on pivoting uh, from one church to another, or they have a lot of extra time that they can invest into something new that requires a lot of investment up front. So those people are historically uh, people in college singles that are in the workplace or young married couples. And what you articulated so wonderfully there was essentially the only people stupid enough to join a church plan are young people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what you're saying. Yeah, right? Pretty much. Um, <laughs> and, and there's also a, a reason why this has been a historical trend in church planting. Um, obviously what you said, but on the flip side, church plans, church plants don't tend to have the capacity to succeed unless they have lots and lots and lots of free and energetical labor. <laughs> and that's historically young people. Yep. And so usually that's just the church plant thing is 100%. young people. Yeah. Um, and we, we had a lot of that in our core team. Like we had, we had several young married couples. We had a lot of single dudes and some single ladies. Um, we had a, you know, Tracy and I had Lydia, who was, you know, a baby. We had, uh, you know, a couple other people who had some kids. Uh, but it was primarily, like, young people who didn't have a lot of roots in Des Moines or commitments. Um, and so that's like, okay, this is who we're going to be. Mm-hmm. And then we added, you know, another, uh, you know, young family. And then we added, like, we had Carl and Judy come in who were empty nesters. Yeah. Um, but we're like, okay, yeah, this is, like, pretty much this is, you know, measuring up to what we thought it would be. And then we launched in 2016, and that, like the demo, the, the demographics got inverted, and it just became <laughs> <laughs> it just became people with a lot of little kids. Yeah, uh, whether they be people in their early 20s or mid 20s who had two or three kids, uh, or they're in their early to mid 30s and had four kids, um, like it just changed drastically. Like it was noticeable. Like pump station and core team days to launch Sunday and the subsequent Sundays. And it's like, there are kids everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like there are kids everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like every mom, both mom and dad are holding the kids. Oh, mom and dad are holding a kid. And there's a kid in a car seat or in a stroller kids everywhere. And that was just a tornado of snot and earwax. Dude, like that was, it was so surprising. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if we've ever, if I've ever asked you this, but like, were you, uh, demoralized so yeah i was gonna use them uh, <laughs> I, I was just gonna i was gonna ask you this question yeah because <laughs> so cause so much of what we had done already while we were you know had boots on the ground in des moines and so much that we had strategized was all built around uh engaging in like you know our, our we would have meetings at two o'clock in the afternoon for a couple hours with the young dudes in the church because they're working at coffee shops or restaurants so they were off in the middle of the day Mm-hmm. We didn't have to, you know, do an early, early morning meeting with, with these dudes or, you know, a late night meeting. We we're like, oh, yeah, you free at one thirty after you get done slinging espresso in the coffee mm-hmm. shop? Oh, mm-hmm. cool. Um, or hanging out late at night with a bunch of people. Like, we were able to do all those things because it was people who didn't, who didn't have kids um, or people who, you know, were barely married and they were down to hang out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see all these 
all these kids and babies. It's like, okay. And all these people with nine to five jobs are like, oh, we can't do what we have been doing anymore. Like, we're going to have to diversify our, our schedules. Like, I'm going to have to have some 6 a.m. meetings now because these people mm-hmm. have grown-up jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I was shocked and I think a little discouraged because, like, man, I felt like I was just getting the hang of, like, how to minister to the core team. Mm-hmm. And now I've got all these other people that I have to consider and schedule around. Yeah, because so if you're listening to this conversation, self is poking at this right now. Um, but if you're listening to this conversation, you might be tempted to think, okay, so you were expecting to minister to one type of person, but primarily a different type of person ended up showing at your showing up at your church. Okay, great. So what? You're expecting this type of person, but you got that type of person. So what? Um, that's just not the case, though. So from a pastoral perspective, what we were thinking is that we were going to have a lot of free, young, energetic labor from people who were eager to serve with their free time. And instead, we found that we are primarily composed of people who were hanging on for dear life with multiple kids. Mm -hmm. So that changes everything, not to be too dramatic, um, but that really changes everything. And so I feel like, yeah, I I wasn't demoralized. Um, but I was surprised and there, I had a lot of processing to do, man. Like I ended up having to write an article, um, like uh, about what, what it, I think I called it like the on millennial church or something like Mm -hmm. that, where I was just processing, like what has shifted in my own pastoral mindset and what does this mean for our church? And it was surprising, but there were also reasons why it happened. Mm -hmm. Um, a strong emphasis on biblical reform theology, I think tends to draw, that family people, mm-hmm. the family man, I guess. Um, on top of that, one of the state's biggest churches planted a church in Des Moines on the same day as us, and they have a huge college ministry. So if you are young, single, and want to be involved in a church plant, it was just a no-brainer that you go to this church. Mm-hmm. So as a result, we had the people with multiple children who were interested in exactly what we were doing. And so, whoo, that was, <laughs> it was great. Yeah, it really was. You know, and we had to just like you opened up with. You know, we haven't changed our pastoral statement of faith. We haven't changed our core doctrine any, but we had to adapt our our, our personal pastoral ministries, and uh, we had to change a little bit of our philosophy of ministry. Not a ton, but just like okay, this has to be nuanced now. You know, like we had, um, you know, we like our our philosophy of ministry was uh, for for mission was hey we're gonna do these we're gonna do th- third spaces or third places, like where we get together and do trivia at this restaurant or this bar or this coffee shop the third Thursday of the month, or uh, we're all going to go hang out at the Iowa Cubs game, or oh, we're all going to hang out and do X, Y, and Z. And you just can't do those sorts of things when you've got a bazillion kids and you're a church with limited resources. Like that just, okay, what does it look like to live yeah. on a mission? Yeah. Okay, well, instead of centralizing this, let's decentralize and say, hey, you family of three kids or of four kids, uh, you need to know the neighbors who are on the left and the right side of you. That's your primary missional focus right there is your, your direct neighbors. Whether you live in an apartment complex or in a neighborhood, you got to do this. So we had, to, we had to shift things around to where it was like, okay, we can't do... Um, cause I, in my mind, you know, I'm coming, I came from Austin, so heavily urbanized, uh, geography, um, with a lot of dual income, no children, uh, couples. And so they've got expendable income, they've got expendable time, so they can do whatever they want pretty much. Mm-hmm. That was not the case at mm-hmm. <laughs> Frontier. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, okay, well, how do we... Like yes, it is an ur- it's urban for Iowa, but some of these missional strategies, some of these pastoral strategies that work really well in heavily urbanized hmm. and young millennial areas, that's not we can't import that into what we're doing in Des Moines. We just can't in our in our local church. Um, so yeah, that was that was uh, I, I, yeah, I would say I was probably frustrated. Not that these people showed up, but at my own inadequacies to to uh, engage them and meet them where they were on a dime. Because I was still trying to figure out what does it look like for me to be a, you know, when I moved here, I was, uh, how old am I now? I was 20, almost turned, I was almost 24 when Frontier <laughs> launched and I had a three-month-old. Yeah, um, it's yeah. like, man, what in the heck do I do? Like, <laughs> I'm oh, trying to figure wow. out how to do this yeah. thing. Yeah. And now I have to, I have to learn and figure out how to, to, to meet these people where they're at in life right now. So that was, so yeah, I was frustrated with my, with myself and that, and 
you know, thankfully God was kind to us and God sent mm-hmm. like the right people uh, to who are super patient and super kind and super understanding. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I agree with you that I, I was frustrated by it initially too. But let me flip that on you, and you're kind of answering it right now, um, so I'm a little behind on this question. But in retrospect, why are you now grateful that God surprised us in that way? Man, I, one of our goals is to uh, plant our grandchildren's church. Like from, mm-hmm. from day one, we've articulated that from the pulpit. And um, with the people who have come to Frontier who... Because they have families, they have to be a little more anchored and rooted where they're at. And so that's helped us to, um, to, to start to manifest what it looks like to be our grandchildren's church, where people are saying, I'm not just here for, because this is a cool, trendy church. Like, I'm in it for the long haul. Like, as long as God's going to keep me here, I'm committed to this church. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really thankful. And a lot of those people who were there on day one aren't around anymore. Um, but because of them being there when they were, we got these other people who invited mm-hmm. them into into mm-hmm. our family, and so it's really helped that and the the continuity um, that we have from from day one to you know in a few weeks Frontier will be five years old. Um, it's because of those people. Like if you look at all, all the the young singles or the young marrieds who were there on day one, um, they were in a fluid part of life to where. You know, probably 85% of those people aren't here anymore because they were just out of college or they didn't want to go to college. And so they're, you know, living the nomadic life or uh, they weren't rooted and anchored. So they just kind of fluttered about or, you know, we've got people who've moved several states away from Des Moines because they were here for a a medical residency or for med school. And so they were only here for a certain period of time Mm -hmm. and they took a risk on frontier. Um, Mm -hmm. so, uh, so I, I'm thankful that God sent those people for the core team days. I'm thankful for those people because a lot of people who've left frontier, uh, were people who invited a lot of people into our family. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm super grateful and thankful for that. Yeah. And now it's refined me. Yeah, that's, that's I, a good answer. Yeah. I think if we were five years in and then we started getting families and then we started getting empty nesters, we'd be a, we'd be a lot more set in our ways and those people would not feel as welcome in our church. Yeah, I think, one, yeah. And along with that, I think one of the reasons why I find myself like really grateful that God surprised us that way is just from a really selfish personal standpoint, it forced maturity really quickly mm-hmm. in my pastoral life. Like it forced maturity. Um, just because, you know, every, 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 every leadership guru out there, and I've heard this said before is like, yeah, if you want to be a, a, uh, an effective organizational leader, you need one of two qualities, uh, hopefully both. Uh, number one, you need to be tall. Number two, you need to be older. And from my perspective, I'm like, uh Oh, I don't have either of those Both for two, but the, uh, the gurus have the tendency to say that you in general, pastors only that have the capacity to lead people who are two years older than them or younger than them. Mm. And uh, it forced us really quickly to try to expedite our maturity um, and honestly, our, our godliness mm-hmm. to be able to lead people who are the same age or maybe a couple steps ahead of us in life. And that's a huge blessing because it really did accelerate maturity it did accelerate maturity in yeah. my life for sure, for sure, for sure. I'd say humility as well. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, whenever you know, we have our you know philosophy of ministry of ministry minimalism, like where we're going to go hard in the paint on Sundays. We're going to do community groups. We're going to do fighter groups, and anything outside of those three buckets, we're going to put into this category of indie ministries. Well, we'll come alongside you. We'll coach you. We'll celebrate you. We'll communicate for you. But that's not a core ministry of the church which was really easy whenever you just got a bunch of people with no kids or barely have kids. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's really easy to communicate that. And it's really easy to have pastoral conversations around that. But when you get people who come to your church because of the theology um, and the, the, the vision, and they come from a church that has a, a large kid ministry and now they're coming to your church and they love the vision. They love the theology but they really miss having these resources for their children. They really miss mm-hmm. having these resources for them as parents to use to disciple their kids. And then that conversation, the, the tone and tenor of those conversations are completely different. 
where you're having to sit down with people and be like, I can't imagine how hard it is for you and for your kids to have left this church environment and to be here now. But like, we're not going to be the big kids ministry church. Yeah. Yeah. And and like what I always try to tell people is we're not making this, we're not who we are out of ignorance. We're not ignorant to, to the successes of, of large kids ministries. We're not ignorant of the, the failures of large kids ministries, but we're not also, we're we're not also operating out of arrogance. We're not arrogant and saying we have the keys to what it looks like to be the church. Um, we're not saying that we're better because we're more minimal in our approach. Like, but we are convicted by God to do these things and to be this, this group of people as a local church. Those were hard conversations, man. When we had more people leave over, philosophy of ministry stuff uh, over theology or core doctrines. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's hard whenever you're like, and for people who've left, be like, I love this church, so I love the preaching, I love the liturgy, I love the music, but I'm drowning with my kids and I need, need help. Mm-hmm. Like, that That was hard. So that was that was humbling. That know? was, yeah. Like, okay, we're not, <laughs> Jesus is God's gift to the world. We're not God's gift to the mm-hmm. world. Like God is choosing to use us and it looks different than other churches. And I think that's why, uh, you know, a lot of people have, came to frontier. We were, when we were, when we planted, we were a unique church and I would mm-hmm. s- still say we are a unique church in the Des Moines landscape. There's more churches of the same flavor as us now. Um, but we were unique. And so people came to us for, you know, the, the unique, uh, ministry of frontier that God was using. So yeah, the demographics, that was a, yeah, that was a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I thankful just, it was day one that we got surprised. Yeah, me too. And I can't help but think of how God has use that surprise to guard us and to protect us you know like i mean there's there's a a very real possibility that if if we did have 50 singles show up on day one at frontier there's a very real possibility that our church would have exploded in in an unhelpful way Mm -hmm. and that the growth of our church would have really quickly outpaced my abilities and your abilities and maybe even the size of our church could have even outpaced our our character Mm -hmm. and our godliness oh yeah and historically, whenever there's been a gap between a church's size and a pastor's godliness, that has almost never ended well. No. And so I just wonder, like, God, I think you've probably protected us by doing that. Yeah, 100%, man. Yeah. Okay, surprise number two, man. That was a... We took a lot of time on that one. <laughs> this one probably, okay, this yeah, one we'll, be... we'll, let's, we'll pick up the pace a little. Yeah. We'll move and shake here. Just um, lots of reminiscing that needs to happen. A lot of reminiscing. Last podcast for self. Um, the second surprise for me is uh, how God has used liturgy in our church. Mm, mm-hmm. We talked about this a little bit last week, I think, but you know, you and I did not grow up or work in churches that uh, were con- were confessional that had liturgy every Sunday. We started to cultivate this desire for liturgy. I'm like, okay, this is who Frontier is going to be. Started that in the core team days. And man, God has used our church confessing liturgy on Sunday morning in some really surprising ways. Um, one way is that people started coming to Frontier because of liturgy. I never in the world thought never, that that never, would never, be an never. attractive piece no, to Frontier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I sat down when I was casting the vision of Frontier to people for support raising in Texas. I'm talking about liturgy. I'm like, ew. They're like, do, what? You're going to do liturgy? That's not it. Like, no one will come to your church because of that. And I was like, <clears throat> you know, I'm reading this data on the, the resurgence of confessional and traditional churches amongst uh, millennials uh, because everything in life is so untraditional and non-traditional. Um, so I'm like, I don't know if that really makes sense. But yeah, it is kind of weird. But hey, we feel convicted to do this, not because it's like just tr- a traditional thing, but because it forms habits in us. And so, like, the surprise with liturgy is, like, people intentionally came to Frontier because they knew that we were doing liturgy. That is mind-blowing. That is mind-blowing, dude. <laughs> I have never heard that before in my life. I know, I know. I was never that person before in my life. Uh, you know, before Frontier came into existence, if I went to a church that had liturgy, I'd probably have been like, this isn't the place for me. I know. I, and it's, it's just funny how more than a handful of times we've heard something like, yeah, you know, I was just kind of hoping for, like, a spirit-led liturgical gospel-centered church and yours is the only one in the area it's like yeah did you hear what you just said (laughs) spirit-led confessional liturgical and gospel center yeah i mean it's just a weird cocktail man it it is man and i think one of the other surprises of liturgy is how um the church has and i've seen a lot of fruit from this and i've heard a lot of uh, comments about this recently, but 
that uh, liturgy does not just exist for Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was talking with a church member a couple of weeks ago. I think it was Aubrey. And she was like, I never once until, I think she said like two weeks ago, I never once viewed liturgy outside of being beneficial for Sunday morning. But now, like I'm realizing it's impacting my week. Oh, we should record a podcast called Liturgy Monday through Saturday. Yeah, dude. And I was like, that's amazing because that's why we do liturgy. It's, It's not just a unifying thing for us on Sunday mornings. It's not just a thing for us to proclaim the same truths uh, of God and about us and about the gospel together on Sunday mornings, but we want that to bleed over into the rest of our week. The same, uh, it's the same thing that we desire from the preaching. It's not just, okay, we're all going to come together and listen to the same lecture for 30 to 50 minutes and we'll like it or dislike it or have questions about it or give some mm-hmms or some amens to mm-hmm. it. But like that's to stir up your affections, to cause you to live differently, to view God as more beautiful, to experience who he is and the, the the benefits of the gospel all throughout your week, not just on Sunday. Same thing for the music. It's portable theology. Go throughout your week and sing mm. these songs and to think about it. Mm-hmm. Like that's what portable we wanted. Theology, I like that. And that's what we wanted liturgy to be. Yeah. Um, and so it's really cool to see the benefits of that taking place and hearing people articulate that. Like, ah, you know, I just was going through my week and I was thinking about that line from liturgy or I was thinking about the Apostles' Creed and that really ministered to me. That protected me from spiraling out of control. That that gave me something to anchor myself in whenever I was feeling anxious. Like man, that like so to me to hear comments like that recently as I'm transitioning out, um, that was just a, a sweet moment for me to hear some people talk about liturgy that way. Because um, that's how I, you know, like uh, the Youngs. When you know, uh, I remember Rob talking about uh, Nathan. Uh, quoting the Christology statement. Oh yeah, he sent me a video of that. It was so freaking cute, dude. Yeah, it was great. Like that. That's just awesome. That ever from a, an adult to, you know, he's probably what eight or nine at the time, maybe even younger than that. Of like talking about God taking our filthy rags and giving us Christ's righteous robe. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Wow. Like, that's you, something that you just they did atonement and righteousness yeah. theology right there. Uh, you know. Um, yeah, that, that maybe you don't get out of maybe you, maybe some Sundays you don't get anything out of the ser- the sermon, but you'll mine a jewel from the liturgy, and maybe the, the next week it's the it's the opposite. Um, but but liturgy is just it's I don't know I just I love what our Sunday mornings look like um, because it's not just like we've got to get everything accomplished in the sermon. Boom! It's like oh we, mm-hmm. like we're all working together here. Mm-hmm. We're working together for the same end too glorify a God and to enjoy him. Mm. So liturgy was definitely a surprise. You know, it kind of felt like for me that it was like just you and I giving ourselves a little attaboy, like, okay, this is what you, you know, no one else may like it, but we'll at least like it. And Right, right. You know, I think if we were to be like, hey, uh, what do we cut from Sundays? Do we cut liturgy or do we shave five minutes off from a sermon? People would be like, we're going to shave five minutes off of the sermon. Yeah. We'll, yeah, we'll totally. shave off a worship song, but you totally. better not touch our liturgy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure, dude. I think like one of the beautiful things that liturgy does, and there's a multitude, there's a myriad of beautiful things that liturgy accomplishes, but one of them is it reminds us that the work of the Holy Spirit is not just confined to um, spontaneous expressions. Mm-hmm. And I, I love spontaneity. Like I, I do experience the Holy Spirit in the moment, say, don't do this or do that. Like I do experience that. Um, that's just not the only time the Holy Spirit works. Sometimes the Holy Spirit works the Monday before Sunday when the liturgist is writing out the liturgy. And the Holy Spirit was at work in um, 1689 when they were putting together the London Baptist Confession mm-hmm. that we confess together once a month. And so it just reminds us that the Holy Spirit has been is and will be at work and mm-hmm. isn't just at work in moments of spontaneity as valuable as those moments of spontaneity are yes yeah it's a it gives us a framework for spontaneity to happen in mm-hmm. like if you're just doing spontaneity for spontaneity's sake i don't think that's healthy or helpful um but we have a structure we have an order that allows us to be spontaneous in that um and i'm not saying you have anyway 
Right. I'm right. Just, I'm gonna. Say, I don't have anything to clean up here. I'm just talking here. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. Bro. You, yeah. You're done after this yeah. week. You can say whatever you want, man. I'll just drop some bombs, and you have to clean them up. Um, <laughs> and by the way, I never even liked Cole. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that's surprise number two. Surprise number three. Um, this uh, this one has been really cool, um, and it's been cool to see um, God at work in your life um, and. Um, just giving you a lot of joy and bearing a lot of fruit in your life through the spiritual practices and uh, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And then like you, your study of this, your practice of these things, uh, not terminating on yourself, but uh, being something that, that God led you to, to lead our church to this. And that's, you know, surprise number three is how the spiritual practices and our, I guess it really, you know, I'll start with the Holy Spirit sermon series, but how our church has um, kind of been reinvigorated by us being sensitive to the, the leadership of the Holy Spirit and mm-hmm. in a more intense way than we have before. Yeah, yeah. It, it feels to me like it all got set off by that sermon series that we did at the very beginning of COVID called We Believe in the Holy Spirit. I mean, it, the first week of that sermon series was the first week of like lockdown, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of crazy to think about. It's a kick in the pants. Yeah, and so that just like really shook us up. I remember um, not that like social media metrics are anything to base your convictions off of, um, <laughs> but I do remember preaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and uh, seeing that sermon live, and there were like two hundred comments from our church on like, okay, well, what does this mean, and what does that mean? And I just remember being like, oh my gosh, our church is so interested in this Mm -hmm. and this is so invigorating to them and God, what are you doing? Um, Cause yeah, dude, those first couple of years, like we followed the Holy spirit Mm -hmm. and we were sensitive to the Holy spirit. It's not like, it's not like we weren't a Holy spirit church and now we are a Holy spirit church, but you said sensitive. There's, there's a level of sensitivity that's changed over this last year Mm -hmm. and a half. And I would argue, it feels to me like there's a level of experienced power that's changed for mm-hmm. the average member in our church too. Yes. Right? Is that how you'd flesh it out? Yeah. I don't think that anybody was like caught off guard by anything that was preached on. Maybe some people probably were, but as a whole, I don't think people were surprised by what was preached on the Holy Spirit or on the spiritual gifts or whenever we just, you know, started did the sermon series on the spiritual practices. I don't think anyone was caught off guard because and I know that because I've heard comments of this of like, oh, I just realized like when we looked at this thematically and as a topic, like we just put everything together instead of it coming up in this sermon uh, text. And then, you know, maybe a couple weeks later, there's another piece of scripture that was that discussed the, the work of the Holy Spirit or the indwelling of the Spirit. But like we, when we uh, intensely focused, I think, was that a six-week sermon series, the Holy Spirit one? Mm-hmm, something like that. Yes, like six weeks or something. Um like people were like, oh, okay. Like we just created this body of work for our church to dig into and to chisel away at, and I think that really, uh, you know, God used that and lit a fire and catalyzed our church to to think about being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and laid that found that framework for us and that foundation for us to where whenever we we went through our spiritual practices sermon series and un. Uh, uh, unloaded what it what it was going to look like for our church to be united in these practices to be like okay here's the theology now here's the practice here's where we put it into into to action here's how it changes our lives and people seeing that whenever I, I devote myself to the scriptures whenever I deny myself some earthly pre- pleasures for a period of time for a particular purpose whenever I meditate um, whenever I pray, whenever I'm like, whenever I'm doing these things, whenever I'm observing the seasons, I notice that my sensitivity, to the Holy Spirit's guidance, is increased. Hmm. That what used to take, uh, you know, being grabbed around the collar of the shirt and thrown across the room, now just takes a, a hand on the shoulder, to where I notice Ooh, the Holy good. Spirit is yeah. present with me and is working in my life and leading me somewhere. Like that has been a. I mean, I guess it's dumb that it's a surprise. So maybe not this. Maybe not, it's not surprising that our church has, you know, uh, been passionate about that. But the level of passion, the level of sensitivity that we're seeing, it's hard to have a metric for what does that look like for your church to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. But I guess one of my only metrics, one of my few metrics, is like I'm hearing people talk about noticing. I really wanted to to do this today, but I felt the Holy Spirit lead me to have this conversation mm. with someone else. 
I really did not want to, you know, fast for the day from social media or for, from food, but I noticed the Holy Spirit was meeting me where I was, and that caused me to pray for my unbelieving family member or coworker. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just the vigor and the excitement that the church had uh, for those things is just really, really awesome. And there's just some strange things happening in our church right now. Like, if you showed up um, a half an hour early to our 11 o'clock service on the front end of Noche, where, not where we worship, but on the front end of Noche, you would see a table with about three, four, five people praying. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, dude. That, that little prayer group that's, that's starting there, that was not your initiative, and it wasn't my initiative, mm-hmm. and it wasn't a leader's initiative. There, there was just this organic push from Noah Holthouse or Eric Barnum or maybe both of them at the same time of, we need to be serious about praying for this church. And so they just started meeting on Sunday mornings before church and praying together. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, where does that happen? Mm-hmm. Or here's another example. Um, one Sunday after church, Andrew Johnson who's kind of our tear up and set. I mean, he does everything, right? Yeah, he does everything. Yeah, but set up and tear down guy plus much more. Like after a a really emotionally taxing Sunday for me, in the hallway, he asked if he could pray for me. And he laid a hand on me and just prayed one of the most encouraging prayers over me that I'd heard in a long time, man. And it's like, where does that happen? Where Mm -hmm. does it happen that one of the members initiates to pray over the lead pastor? Mm -hmm. And so I look at those things and... Things like that as fruit of this whole shift into more and more and more Holy Spirit. And I just think like, I want more and more and more of that. I want our Sundays mm-hmm. to be filled with people who are praying for each other. And I want our Sunday mornings to be filled with people who see prayer not as the tertiary thing or the secondary thing, but like the thing that we're there to do. Uh-huh. Not just the thing that transitions us between singing and preaching, mm-hmm. but like the thing. Yes. And then it's like, oh, yeah, and there's there's also preaching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's been so cool to see, and I hope that I can come back. I, mean, I will come back on a Sunday, but I hope yeah, that baby. like, you Ro- know. Roll out the red carpet. <laughs> come on. hope that in a year and two years, whenever I, or I can come back next year, and I come back the year after that, and the year after that, and I just, like, I see that the communion response time is taking 30 minutes because people are praying so so much for each other, you know? Bro, I will wait as long as I need to if people are praying during that <laughs> yeah. communion, during that's, that communion that's, time. Dude, it's a small thing whenever we're leading, whenever one of us is leading communion, but when it, it's awesome where you like walk up to the microphone to lead people through the eating and drinking, and then you look out and you're like, I'm just going to take a step back and I'm going <gasps> to sit down. Like, that's so good for my soul whenever I get to not do that. And you can almost feel this thought come in of, it's almost lunchtime, Cole. And then this other thought of, spouses are praying together. Uh-huh. Yeah. Let lunch wait, Lunch baby. can wait. They're having the real lunch right now. Having that real lunch. That lunch lunch. Uh, yeah, that's good, man. I know we wanted to do the last two as kind of personal surprises that we've experienced in our in our own life. So what, what would be yours, dude? Man, there's so many. Um, I think one of the, the, the biggest ones for me as a follower of Jesus is, um, my passion for the scriptures increasing more than, you know, I I think as I've grown and matured, like Mm -hmm. I'll get like, you know, if I'm lifting weights here, I'm going to, I can put like a, you know, one or two more plates on the, the end of the barbell. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, pretty predictable, pretty uh, expected. But I feel like in the last two and a half, three years, I've been, God's been putting like three or four plates on at a time mm-hmm. on the barbell. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you wouldn't want to put three on because that would be lopsided. So we'll go with a nice round Maybe four. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but man, just, you know, you and I, and God was kind of blowing us up at the same time of like, I think moving from, you know, as most dudes in the reform camp do, like you just get a hold of systematic theology and, and you're just get so in love with these systems because it helps you digest things and understand things and clearly communicate them and easily communicate them. And, um, like, and I love systematic theology. I still view it as a helpful tool and resource. Um, but God giving me this vision of like the church or the, of the Bible being one cohesive 
uh, book, one cohesive story, you know, as the Bible project talks about, it's one unified story leading to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And you and I are kind of discovering some of the same things at the same time. And it's been like, man, the, the scriptures are far more beautiful than I ever gave gave them credit for. It's far yeah, more complicated yeah, right. than I've ever given it credit for. That's it's right. far more easy than I've ever given it credit for. Um, and so that, that's been a huge thing for me. Like it's been a blessing uh, for me as just a follower of Jesus, as a husband, like have these fun conversations with Tracy about the Bible. It's like, be like, Hey, what do you guys think about this passage in the community group? Anything weird here? Anything, you know, stand out and seem stagnant, whatever. And just like the, being able to br- bring the Bible and show it that it's this living, beautiful, amazing book. Um, you know, we went to that conference and that preacher was like, you know, can you make the book talk? Oh yeah. It's Charlie Dates. Uh, yeah. Charlie right? Dates. And can it's like, you make the book talk? Dude. And like, I feel like God was just screaming at us through the scriptures and that, you know, season two and a half, three years ago. And like, yeah, that's all we wanted yeah. to do was make the book talk to people. Like, look how amazing this is. It's we, in your Bible. We've all read this so many times in our lives, and we've never picked up on this one piece right here in this scripture in Romans. Look how amazing this is. Mm, so that's mm-hmm. been like a big surprise for me because I, you know, could kind of predict my passion for the scriptures increasing, and God just kind of blew me up with with that. Um, and I, I think the, the next piece for me surprising is just um, how much I love being a pastor. Mm, um, mm-hmm. You know, and and. And knowing that that's not just a, you know, job title, um, like obviously, you know, I, I knew that, um, but the more that I am able to be involved in people's lives and, you know, praying with people and counseling and preaching and knowing that when I preach that, like, it, it can affect people positively or negatively and that I may have to have some follow-up conversations with people or, you know, um, having difficult conversations and you know, mitigating conflict between church members, like all those things. I'm just, I'm just so thankful and for the role that God um, has given me in Frontier for the past five and a half years, and that I can count it as an honor and a privilege to be a pastor. Like that, like it's just, it's humbling, um, but it's been a huge gift to me. I wouldn't be the man that I am now if. Um, if I wasn't a pastor in Frontier and being able to pastor alongside the pastoral team, that's been surprising. It's like the, you know, when I read about Paul writing the, you know, in, in Thessalonians, you know, writing is, you know, it came to you as a nursing mother, mm. like in that affection, that care, that attention to detail. Like my, yeah, my, my prayer has been that I'd always be that. And I've dropped the ball and, um, as being a pastor, I'm an imperfect pastor. Um, but I Whenever I think about Frontier, I think about it as a baby, and I'm like this nursing mother, like wanting to cradle this baby in my arms, and you know, just approach it tenderly and not be domineering, not be abusive, not be neglectful. Um, so that that the affection that I've had for being a pastor in this church is um, it's been surprising. Yeah, and that's that. There's a huge shift that happens in your heart when I feel like that clicks over, like the power of loving pastoral work is that I think there's a shift, at least in my heart, there was a shift for me between being a results-driven pastor and then becoming a pastoral-driven pastor. Mm -hmm. And um, when you love pastoral ministry so much and when you delight in the work of pastoral ministry so much, it frees you up to be with people and to pastor people without having any expectations of producing any sort of results. And people can feel that Mm -hmm. because it it, it means that the end goal of pastoring is to pastor people like Jesus. Mm-hmm. It is not to get something out of them. It's not to get a cool story out of them. Um, it's not to get volunteering out of them. It's to simply love them like Jesus. And so, um, there I mean, there's a lot of fruit that comes from that. It means that you're able to remain a pastor even when it seems like your pastoral ministry is bearing little fruit just because you love the work so much. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I feel like we've both gone into that transition. Yeah. What's been the biggest surprise for you, man, personally? Yeah, uh, it's been a slow, long transition for me over these five years. But I think um, I think the biggest transition for me is viewing myself as primarily a preacher and then transitioning into viewing myself primarily as a pastor. Mm-hmm. That shift has been happening over five years. It's not done. There's still more work that 
God needs to do in my heart. But like like any stupid young Acts 29-ish reformed dude, and I love all those words I just threw out there, right? We are Acts 29 um, and we are reformed and I am still young. So I don't, that's not a derogatory of any of those, but I just stupidly thought, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go to Des Moines and I'm going to, when we plant a church, it means I'm primarily just going to preach and it's going to go great. And people <laughs> think it's great. People think it's great. And they're going to come. Uh-huh. Um, and it didn't matter what great coaching I got of, okay, Cole, here are all the components of this, right? You're not just a preacher, blah, 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 blah. Like you've got to do this and there's admin work and there's pastoral work. And yeah, all I heard was get that stuff done. So you can preach banging sermons, man. Eat your veggies so you can get your ice cream. That's right. Get the tweetables in the sermon. Yeah, yeah. And um, the biggest shift for me has been um, loving pastoring people Mm. as much, if not more, as I love preaching. Mm -hmm. And there's been no slackening in my love for preaching, like... I, I hope not. I'd say I, it's increased. Yeah, yeah. I, I I hope nobody can come to Frontier and leave and say, Cole just like didn't seem that into his preaching. You know, like I I, yeah. I, I love it. I love it. I read books on preaching. I, I daydream about it all the time. But I really am at a place right now where spending time with my family and spending time with you and pastoring people over a cup of coffee is as enjoyable and as meaningful to me and as important as preaching is. Mm, that's good. In fact, in this last season of ministry, I feel like I'm finally at a place where if if I have not put enough time into a sermon and somebody needs to spend time with me, I don't I don't I don't kick the person down the field another week. Mm. I, I kick the preaching quality down and I'm okay with that. And that's pretty new in me. Mm-hmm. Like I think in most in those first couple of years, I would have been like, hey, I'm kind of booked. Like, can we do it next week or two mm-hmm. weeks from now? And I feel like I'm at a finally in a place where I can prioritize people um, over preaching. Mm-hmm. And that feels really good in my soul, man. That's awesome. So like in this virtual world, every Christian has a thousand preachers online and not a lot of them have pastors. Mm. Um, so like I, I've been super thankful for seeing that, that uh, maturity and God giving you not uh, not lowering any particular passion or any particular excitement, but maybe restructuring them or reprioritizing them, you know, mm-hmm. of seeing like, oh, these people don't just need to hear things. They need to be pastored. They need to be cared for. Like, I don't just, I'm not preaching in a vacuum here. Like, I know the stories of some of these people. Uh, and I know whenever I preach that, like, it's going to prick these people one way, and it's going to hug these people one way. And so, like, I have different responses for those different people. So that's been really cool for me to see that that uh, evolution in, in your personal ministry and getting to, to pastor alongside you in that, man. Yeah, God's been really kind to me. And, like, one unsuspecting way he's been kind to me, and I am not saying this to garner any sort of, oh, poor Cole licking his wounds comments. Um but this has just been a reality for me. Um, and, and the reality, and I think this is God's kindness, the reality has been for me that a lot of the people who came to Frontier and told me, bro, your preaching is freaking awesome, man, are also people who have left mm. for silly reasons. Um, and what God has done, the way that God has used that to accomplish maturity in me is I, I'm now at a place where I'm more suspicious at what my preaching alone can accomplish mm. and more confident in what my past my pastoring can accomplish mm-hmm. in the church. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I think that preaching can change the world. And I do think that it's the preaching of the gospel that's the most important vocation God could give. To, I, I'm, I'm with all of that. Um, but I'm now preaching in such a way that the primary thing going on in my heart when I'm prepping a sermon is not what would be the coolest thing to say right now, Mm -hmm. but instead it's what's the thing that God wants our church to hear. Uh And you can feel the difference between those two preaching styles. Yes. Yes. Especially whenever you look at 
Paul's letters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you look at Jesus, his preaching ministry. It's not like, oh, it's going to be sensational. It's like, okay, these Pharisees they need to hear this, and my disciples need to hear this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul's absolutely. Like, hey, these heretics, they need to hear this, and the actual faithful church, they need to hear this. It's very local. Yeah. And contextual. Uh-huh. Hmm. So, yeah, man. So... Those are our big top five surprises yeah. right there, man. There's many more, but those are some of the standout <laughs> ones for me. <laughs> okay, so we can stop recording anytime now, but I just, I, this is your last podcast, man. And uh, I was just wondering, you know, like before Moses died, he had his big old sermon <laughs> and you get to preach on Sunday. I do. But is there any sign off, any last podcast remark that you want to you wanna make to our church? Hmm. Man, I just i i want to i want Sunday and my uh, departure from Frontier. I want I want people to, and I hope that people um, know that I that I love them, that I love our church. Hmm. Um, like I would much rather people have that than oh we you know countless things. But that that's really what I what I want people to know is that um, I didn't spend five and a half years in Des Moines because it was a job. I didn't spend five and a half years in Des Moines to add something to my, you know, add some credential to add to my Twitter bio. Um, I came here um, Mm -hmm. because Tracy and I felt like we were led by the, believed that we were led by the Holy Spirit to come here and be a part of a new work. And God has kept us here because we, we love frontier whenever things were difficult um, we stayed because we love we love the church, um, and it's hard to it's hard to be at a point now where I love the church, but I I for the sake of my family I've got to go, and so that's a really weird place for me to be. And I you know I've talked about this with other people, but like I feel like God has rendered me powerless in a way to finally show me that okay I need to. I need to step out, and because I also feel like I, you know, if I were to continue the path that I'm on, I would be rendered useless and powerless in my ministry to to the church, and so that's a really hard, hard place to to be at. Um, but man, I just want the church to know that I love them, uh, and that I will continue to love Frontier, and I don't regret a single day in Frontier. Mm. While I may regret a day in my house, <laughs> the, the war that it's waged against me. I've, I've never regretted a day that I've invested in frontier. I've never regretted a Sunday. I've never you know, left a pastoral team meeting thinking, oh, I wish that I could have that those two and a half hours back. I've hmm. never left a community group gathering thinking, man, if God would just give me some different people, this would be way more enjoyable and way more easy. Like, man, I just, I, I know a lot of pastors and over the course of my life and I've been under other a lot of other pastors leadership and for some pastors whether it's their doing or the church is doing it's hard for them to say that they love their church um and I have no problem saying that I love love Frontier Church like never once have I ever been like this church was just different I would love them more um, and it's not lost on me how unique that is and how beautiful that is. Um, and Frontier is not a perfect church, and I'm not a perfect pastor, but what God is, the people that God has united in our church family is is extremely unique um, and extremely powerful. Um, the, the lives that he has changed, the lives that he's changing, the marriages that he's restored, the, rema- the marriages that he's still in the process of restoring, the addictions he's breaking in our church, the increased passion for evangelism and discipleship that he's causing in our church. Like, man, it is, it, it's, it's amazing. Um, and so, yeah, I could go on about how much I love Frontier, but I, I just want people to know when I get done preaching at the 11 o'clock service and turn over the keys and all that. Like I want people to know that I, that I, that I love them and that Tracy and I will miss them. And my kids are going to miss, miss them. You know, it's, and I've never once felt like frontier was like, I felt like it was my church on one level because I'm a part of it, but I've never felt like it was my church. I've always Mm -hmm. been like, this is, this is our church that, 
this belongs to Jesus. We are his sheep. And yes, there are under shepherds, the pastors in the church, but this church belongs to Jesus. And to, to see so many people who have that mentality, that that's a game changer when it comes to being a church man. Um, and Frontier is so easy to love. And I've been so loved by Frontier. Um, we're transitioning out, not because of a lack of love on our end or on Frontier's end. Um, this is just what what is best for my family right now. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I love you, Church. That's all I've got. Mm. Job well done, man. All my heart is thinking right now is, you're going to see him later today at pastoral team meeting. <laughs> you're going to see him later today at pastoral team meeting. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and the hope that in new creation, that all the work that I've done, that I've done alongside you, that you've done, that our church has done, is that we will reap what we have sown in this life and the life to come, and that we'll worship Jesus face-to-face together. Like, I want to be sitting with some frontier homies mm-hmm. whenever I'm a new creation at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Like, like so, And so that's what's... That, like, that, that hope that what I've done in five years and what my family's endured in five, five and five years is that it's not in vain and that we will taste not just the first fruits, but all of the fruit in, in new creation. And we'll get to the Jesus that we've been preaching about, the Jesus that we've been evangelizing about, the Jesus that we've been singing about on Sundays, the Jesus we've been discussing around dinner tables and in coffee shops, like we'll get to see that Jesus face to face, shoulder to shoulder. Mm. One day, whenever that glorious day comes, like we're gonna get to experience that, and it's gonna be way better than anything that we've experienced in five and a half years. And I can't wrap my mind around that, but it's gonna mm. be amazing. Mm. Yeah, we love you, church.